Welcome everyone to episode 9 of OSUZ 504's Freelance, the anti-romance audiobook version. I am your humble reader, beta reader number 3, and as always, if you like this, please check out the book version, available on Amazon.com or at Ozzy's website at osuz504.tech. That's www.osuz504.tech. There are several other books, blogs, and in-progress stories available for reading and opinions, so be sure to check it out. Now, on with the story. Greetings from Wolf Point, Montana, April 5th. Marcus, there is nothing but wind and sky here, endless fields of nothing. I can hear the trains coming down the main line hours before I see them. It feels sad and empty. The wind comes from the east and blows into my face all day, and it seems to suck out my soul as well. This may have been a bad choice. Upside, I am getting some good writing ideas. Day 75. Welcome back, fearless readers. I do have some updates for you this week. It seems the light of my life has been sighted near Wolf Point, Montana. So if any of you readers are from Wolf Point, keep an eye out. I can't imagine that anyone actually reads this silly blog, but just in case, please tell my darling that I love and miss her and that she needs to call me as soon as she gets cell service or manages to find a town that still has payphones. I'm still not entirely sure that Montana has people, much less the technological advancement known as the telephone, but others assure me that in fact, yes, they do have phones and people. Someone even mentioned an airport at one point. I remain hopeful, but unconvinced. For those of you that are actual fans of our wandering author, you will be pleased to know that Underdog Press will be releasing book five in about a week. I think it's her best book yet, but I may be biased. Responding to one of our teachers' questions, one of our readers' questions, yes, I know, she writes me into every book. Yes, it's mostly with my consent. No, I don't feel that uncomfortable with having my personality displayed like that. Usually. And yes, it is fun to pick me out of a character lineup in each of her works. I like to think it's just because she adores me so much. But it's probably just a way to work out her frustrations with me without violence or legal negotiations. More updates are forthcoming. Marcus leaned back in his chair, hitting the publish button on the blog site. He was grateful Erica was contacting him reasonably consistently. He was happy that she had such a wide network of fans and friends actually reading the blog. He very much wanted her to be home. Something about this whole thing just made him uncomfortable, as if his spidey sense could sense some dark cloud connected to the whole trip. Chris pulled up a chair and dropped a cup of coffee on his desk. Hey, thanks, Marcus said, sipping gratefully. How's our girl? Oh, fine. Hasn't been eaten by the children of the corn yet. Seems to be regretting her life choices at the moment, but it seems also to be relatively unharmed. Chris popped the top of a soft drink and rested his feet on the stack of binders next to Marcus's desk. That's good. I like your blog, by the way. I heard Veronica and Sales like it as well. Well, I'm not really doing it for them. Chris shrugged. Doesn't matter. If I were you, I'd go in as freelance agent for her. Why? Al, the acquiring editor down in nonfiction, said he would publish her walkabout book. Said it sounded like the confused wanderings of a mad genius. Well, there's a title. Seriously, he wants to buy it. And now that you've got her stable and actually making deadlines and everything. I'm not an agent, Chris. I'm an editor. I have other authors. Sure, and you can keep them. I'm just saying that you could help Erica out, too. Do what you're already doing and get paid for the privilege. Does she even have an agent? Marcus had to stop and think for a moment. She might have mentioned one a few months ago, but she never talks about him, or her. So no? Maybe? There you go. Golden opportunity. 
Hmm. He'd never really considered the idea. Maybe I'll go talk to Al. Mm-hmm. Chris nodded. Seems like a good plan. Wandering. It's raining today, and I'm miserable. My chest is broken out with what one lady called sun rash, like my skin is actually allergic to the sun. I knew I was a basement-quality epic nerd, but honestly, allergic to the sun? Anyway, it hurts. And the constant wind and drizzling rain isn't making me feel much better. I'm camped out in my little tent, in a campground, out in the middle of nowhere. Everyone around me has RVs and mobile homes. I hear televisions and radios blaring from the corners of the site. I wonder why. I'm writing this in the dying light left by clouds tucked into my tent womanfully, scratching away with pen and paper as stray raindrops fleck my notebook and blur my glasses. It makes me wonder what any of our modern conveniences actually are for. We put so much time and energy into acquiring these things, into making them bigger, stronger, faster. But why? I'll be crossing into North Dakota soon. I think I saw red lightning this morning. They're also named sprites, after air spirits, since they're so hard to catch and photograph. It felt like they were riding with me, leaping from cloud to cloud this morning. Do you ever have the feeling that the world just doesn't have a space for you? That there are too many people all crowding you out? Loud noises, constant shuffling. My space. Your space. Our space. Some days I feel trapped in my own head, and the only way to escape is to come somewhere like here. Empty. I can breathe easier. Well, I, I feel like I can breathe easier. Being a fat, almost middle-aged professional geek, I'm too out of shape to actually enjoy this experience, but I think you know what I'm trying to get at here. I can taste something here, something on the wind. Something about the wind at night, the way it smells cool, but full of life, almost a manic warmth. There's a hint of something like burned salt, and it makes me think of gin and the desert, even though the environment is full of waving green shadows. Looking out from my tent, I think I see figures in the rain, in those green shadows. It feels like seeing things underwater, like watching kelp move in the waves. Bits of color merge with each other until I think I can pick out a face, a hand, a robe. It makes me think of magic and darkness and deals with dastardly devils. I stood outside to taste the rain on my tongue and tried to look at the shadows full on. A dare. I want something to happen, something new, something different. Every day, I think that maybe today will be the day when I'm surprised, when I part the veil between fantasy and reality and can move between both worlds. But again, the rain was just the rain. The figures were just plants. The world order was maintained. But still, that wind, that restless fury of the storm, it gives me hope that wondrous things are still possible. Greetings from Minot, North Dakota, April 10th. Marcus, my feet are killing me, and I've managed to rub all of the skin off my private parts. The wind blows all the time, and I just got a shower after days on the road. I'm gross. I mean, grosser than usual. There are people following me sometimes and honking at me. A lady in the diner this morning called me honey and asked how my trip was going. She said that she read about it on your blog and that she loves my books. A person, a real person, said that she read and loved my books, and she let me use the employee shower. Can you believe it? Someone read something that I wrote and liked it. I don't even know how to process this. What are you writing that all these people know me? She mentioned a blog. I didn't know you had a blog. Day 81. Erica Kane just figured out that people like her work. I have to wonder if she thought that me and her sales manager were buying all of her copies. 
although I'm not sure that she actually understands how money works. Correction. I'm sure she understands how money works, but has absolutely no conception of how or why it applies to her. I found her in the bathroom cutting her own hair the other day and had to explain to her that typically most people don't do that. My explanation made no dent in the iron shell that is her mind. I'm sure any financial discussion would go about the same. To the nice lady in North Dakota that gave her a shower and said that she liked her books, you are an angel. May whatever God you believe in smile upon you and bring you whatever blessings you desire. I thought I was the only person who had to force her to shower. I'm so happy at least one other person in the world feels my pain. I'm not sure if she's ever gotten a fan letter, so your kind words really made an impact on her. She refuses to listen to me now for anything except negative comments, as if me sleeping with her would color my opinion of her writing. Well, of course it would. She's the most amazing writer on the face of the planet, and of all time. Fight me. Nina dropped herself into the stands next to him and shoved her jacket and purse between them, looking very out of place in the gymnasium. She was wearing a black dress and heels. Every other woman in the place was wearing a variation of t-shirt and jeans, including Elena. His kid found them in the stands and waved like a goof, holding up the controller and smiling madly. Marcus waved back. Ah, <sighs> Nina exhaled. I'm so glad this is almost over. I'm so sick of stepping on random metal parts and having wires trailing everywhere in the house. You get used to it eventually, said Marcus. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, Erica does this all the time. She and Elena really hit it off. I'm surprised she didn't want to come see the competition. You're still dating her, then? Marcus spared a glance at his former wife. Her lips were pursed, and she seemed intent on looking anywhere but him. Yes? Good for you. Yep. Have you introduced her to your parents yet? Nope. Good luck with that. Your mother is awful. She's not awful. She was just upset. We were so young. He stopped. And why are you complaining about that? It's been years. Let it go. She even likes you. She shrugged. I think Erica's a bad influence. I wasn't going to say anything, but I found these lesbian books in my, in Eric, in Elena's bag. I think they're Erica's. You shouldn't let our daughter see that trash. Mm. What do you mean, mm? I don't know if Elena's going to need those books anymore. Why would she need them in the first place? I just figured Erica suggested them. She scowled. Elena's always going on about how much she reads and all the new things they talk about, and I just don't like the idea of her exposing Elena to sex like this. Yeah, me neither. You should do something about it. Nope. Marcus, you have a responsibility. I did take care of it. I had the sex talk with Elena. We talked about why she was reading those books. It has nothing to do with Erica. If you're that concerned, why don't you talk to her about it? Nina sniffed. I didn't want it to sound like I was criticizing you now that you finally found a woman. Found a woman? What am I, a caveman? Stop picking at me, Marcus. I'm trying to encourage you in your relationship. Elena seems to like her. You seem to like her. I think she's ridiculous, but nice enough, I suppose. I read one of her romance novels. She made a face. I don't think I'll do that again. Yeah, it's, it's not really her genre. You should try one of the sci-fi ones, or the travel diaries. I like them a lot more. Yes, and I'm sure that it has nothing to do with the fact that your lovemaking skills rarely come into play for those genres. He chuckled. It is a problem. An announcer stepped up to the mic finally. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the third annual robotics competition here at the All-City Technology Fair. We have a great showing today with some very interesting models. 
We're going to put the robots through a standard set of tests, issue our selection for best in show, and then the audience will be free to come and see the built exhibits for yourselves. Thank you so much for coming. Evanston Magnet High, will you please bring your bot forward? Ooh, Elena, shouted Marcus. Shh, Nina said, pushing him back down into the bleachers. Shh, yourself, he returned. She's never going to play sports. This is the closest I'm ever going to come to getting to cheer her on in a sporting event. Just let me have this. Oh, fine, but you're so embarrassing. Elena looked up and gave another goofy wave. Too bad she doesn't have braces and a pocket protector, he thought. She'd be a perfect walking stereotype. He gave another whoop and a, Go get him, hija! Con ganas! Marcus, be quiet! Wandering. My feet have swollen into my shoes, and I can't seem to get them off. Marcus would fix it for me, if he was here. I had to cut the sides open. Then I pedaled barefoot for 40 more miles until I hit the Minnesota border. I stayed at a motel so that I could shower and see what was wrong with my feet. I asked for extra blankets at the front desk, and the lady handed me a woven cotton one that reminded me of the hospital. I said, This is just like the ones they use at hospitals. She didn't seem to hear me, so I said it louder. Then she got upset and said, Why are you yelling at me about hospitals? But I wasn't yelling about hospitals. I was yelling about blankets. When I tried to explain again, she closed the bulletproof partition and left. I heard her tell someone that there was a crazy lady in the lobby. She called the police on me. Later, a nice man in a sheriff's uniform came to talk to me about it. I still didn't realize it was a problem. I was just trying to make conversation, I said. Doesn't everyone know that what the blankets at hospitals look like? He got a funny look on his face and said that no, most people didn't. I didn't have anything else to say at that point, so we just stared at each other. Eventually, he tipped his hat to me and said, Ma'am, in a really friendly way that makes you feel kind of respectable, at least on the outside, and left. I miss Marcus. I'm finally in a forest. It smells clean. Cars race past me too fast, and everything leaves an odd film of asphalt and oil dust when they do. The wind has finally eased a little, and trees, glorious trees, are everywhere. I laid outside on a picnic table to watch the sun go down and see the stars through the trees before heading in to take care of my feet. It's not quite the same on the prairie. Out with nothing between you and the sky, it's like you're falling through the atmosphere, disappearing into the great void, drowning in the stars. You can't tell which way is up or down, just endless points of light that seem right next to you and yet epically far away. With trees and landscapes, though, the light takes on depth. You don't fall into it. It's swimming instead of drowning in the darkness. You can see the wind moving shapes into the light, and it's like they tether you to the earth. I stayed out there until a raccoon got too friendly. It was too fat, and it moved too slowly, and it looked at me as it sat down, like a person, and I thought, that's a person, not a raccoon. His name is probably Bill or something, and he used to be a plumber. I could picture him with a cigarette giving me some sob story about a warlock or witch's curse. Someone has turned him into a raccoon, and he's going to want me to fix it, and I've got things to do. That or it had rabies and was trying to die. I didn't want to heal a shapeshifter or kill a dying thing, so I went back inside. But its little face did seem to sort of expect some sort of rejection. Like Eeyore, except a fat plumber on a motel picnic bench. Oh, and I saw the Mississippi headwaters, sort of. I mean, I rode up to what looked like a reservoir, and I saw some water. Isn't it amazing how something that can shape the very skin of the earth can be so boring? Isn't that always the way? That the most powerful things look like nothing special, maybe even a little underwhelming, until you understand them. Day 84. 
Greetings, my steadfast readers. News from the front. Our fearless author has safely traversed Minnesota and has returned to civilization and cell phone service. I've made contact with the intrepid explorer just last night. She reports being in good spirits, though foot damaged, and evidently the owner of a brand new wardrobe. Someone in a Toyota Camry with a broken fan belt, don't ask me how she remembers or notices these things, near Minnetonka, ran her into a ditch, scattering her gear and ruining her clothes. And here I thought Minnesota folk were supposed to be nice. Someone fished her out of the irrigation ditch, saved the bike, and got her cleaned up. I'm sure she'll forget your name as soon as you're not directly in front of her face, so to that unnamed Good Samaritan, you have my gratitude. Write to me. I'll send you a book. Marcus? Hey, Erica, this is a surprise. Usually you only call me at night. Yes, well, I'm home. Can you come pick me up? He stopped and glanced at his phone. But it's four days early. Where am I picking you up from, Wisconsin? No, I'm at Union Station. He stood up, cradling the phone against his ear and shoulder and started to put his things together. Of course, honey, but why don't you just get a lift home? He heard her give a long-suffering sigh. Well, I look kind of odd right now, and the station police officer won't let me leave his office until he knows someone is going to look after me. Marcus stopped. Why do you look odd? What have you done? It's kind of hard to explain. Is the policeman nearby? Can you put him on the phone? I'm not a teenage runaway, Marcus, she bit at him. So no, I'm not going to put the policeman on the phone. Just come to Union Station and ask for the duty officer, please. She hung up. She was sitting in the office, her feet up, freshly bandaged and sipping coffee when he arrived. Erica, what did you do to your feet? He nodded to the older man sitting next to her and immediately laid his hands on her little feet. One of the conductors was worried about her, explained the cop, asked if we could help her off the train and make sure she got home safe. Evidently, she locked her bike to one of the seats when she went to the bathroom and then lost the key. Marcus groaned. You didn't. I did. She smiled placidly at him. But Officer Marietta here was nice enough to cut the lock for me and help me off the train. Marcus sent him an inquiring glance as he pointed to her feet. What's with the bandages? Officer Marietta sighed and wiped his forehead. She was trying to take care of herself in the bathroom, but got blood everywhere, which scared the conductor. I don't know how she did it. We were just trying to get her cleaned up and home. For the first time, Marcus took a good look at her. She was baked a sort of caramel golden color, her hair much darker than he remembered, wrapped up in a messy bun on the, t- messy bun on the top of her head. Straggles of dark blonde, blonde hair escaped at irregular intervals. She must have lost 20 pounds and was, in fact, wearing a pair of loose, light men's sweatpants he'd never seen before, with the pant legs rolled up around her calves, a tank top with a bra, a shawl or a poncho of some kind that looks suspiciously handmade, and a pair of moccasins sat next to her gigantic backpack and folded bike. You look like a crazy person, he said finally. She waved it off. Yes, yes, I love you too. She stared at the police officer. There, are you satisfied? I have a keeper. I'm not some lone female with delusions of independence and competence. A nice, responsible male authority figure is here to take charge of me. Can I go home now? Officer Marietta looked uncomfortable. Now, miss, it's not like that. Marcus shook his hand and put on a hearty, non-threatening expression. She knows that. She's just being difficult. She glared at him. I wasn't being difficult. It's a well-known fact that the patriarchal domination of 
Officer, thank you so much. Is there anything else we can do, or is it okay for her to go home now? He interrupted, shamelessly putting a hand over her mouth. The patriarchy rarely enjoyed having someone point out its bias to it directly. The officer looked a little nonplussed. Home is good. I'm glad we could help her out a little today. He nodded to her. It was sure interesting to talk to you, Miss Kane. Please take care of yourself. She made as if to hop out of the chair onto her bandaged feet. No, Marcus said, pointing a finger at her. Stay. I'm going to bring the car around and put your stuff in. You are going to stay there quietly. She looked back to Marietta. But we've already said our goodbyes, and it's going to be super awkward just staring at each other for the next ten minutes. Marietta said, Why don't I help you out with her things? At home, Marcus slowly undid the bandages around her feet so he could look at them and get her into a shower. Maria, I don't understand how this could have happened. They were a mess. They had an odd, bruised color, and her shoes had rubbed huge, gaping holes around her toes, heel, and instep. She shrugged. I don't know. I just didn't feel anything until blood started coming out of my socks. She held up her new moccasins. Now these, these are shoes. I'm never wearing anything else. Feel how soft you feel. She thrust them at him. Mm-hmm. They're nice. Pretty, too. Yes. She shoved a label at him. If I require shoes, I will wear this brand. That's it. No high heels, no fancy shoes, these. You're going to look weird in a black dress and moccasins. I look weird anyway. When you buy me shoes, buy me these. He sighed, but took a picture of the brand and her size to put in his phone. Speaking of looking weird, he coughed and couldn't quite meet her eyes. How would you feel about doing a TV interview? Absolutely not. Hear me out, honey. Were you at the Hugo party? No way. She crossed her arms over her chest. He continued unwinding her bandages, trying to gently massage in some neosporin while he did it. She didn't even seem to feel it. I know, I know, that one was a little rough, and I explained to the reporter, but you see, I've been writing that blog about you, and your little bike ride stunt, and this whole train event. People find it really amusing. It could be a great way to build up marketing for your travel books and get you some additional income. I'm loaded. I don't care. Come on, Erica. Al at uh, Underdog from Nonfiction was interested, but you could get a way better contract if there were some other presses competing. She blinked at him as if feeling her way through some new idea. Marcus, are you trying to be my agent? Or maybe my manager? He coughed again. No, no, I just see some of these opportunities, you know, and I don't want you not to take advantage of them just because you have some... <sighs> just because I'm fucking weird? Yes. He shrugged and put her feet down, wrapping her arms around his chest so he could carry her into the kitchen, since he wasn't sure if her feet looked this bad. She probably hadn't eaten for days. And I talked to Al and the reporter today, and both of them are very nice, very supportive. We could do this. I'd be there with you, you know. I'll take a day off work to come with. Okay, she finally said, on a long breath out. But I'm sure I'll do something bizarre. Makes for good television, Dozora. It'll probably boost their ratings and make you a star. Blech, hope not. Chapter 5. Inspiration. My axes are named Tramp and Stamp. Section 1. That Path Rothfuss Bullshit. Good morning, Chicagoland. I'm Brian Ackerson, and today we are talking with local author Erica Kane about her new book, The Iron Road. Welcome, Erica. The two figures sat on a cookie-cutter set in two chairs, facing slightly towards each other, one tall and handsome, in a cheap black suit with a stupid checkered tie, the other tiny and starkly lit against a generic backdrop. 
She was wearing her soft moccasins, the one with no hard soles, and with striped fat colored fabrics and fringe on the toe. Uh, hello. She squinted against the harsh television lights and waved a little to Marcus sitting behind the camera. The director scowled at her. Marcus waved back. Erica, may I call you Erica? I'd actually rather... Erica, we're talking with you today since you and your editor have created a sort of fan blog. We all saw your outburst at your nomination party, available on our website. And you were recently detained on a misguided train trip through the Midwest. Is that right? She frowned. It wasn't misguided. I wanted to get out in the world and experience things, really see things. But you went by yourself, right? He smiled at her much too sweetly. A little thing like you? You were trying to bike ride across North Dakota? Well, not just North Dakota, she corrected. Also Montana and Minnesota, and, and I did. Just because people are small doesn't mean that they can't do things. You've seen The Lord of the Rings. Of course, but let me just say, you're just too pretty to go by yourself. As a woman alone, weren't you afraid that something would happen to you? She scowled even more fiercely. See, that's just another example where society gives these women these false fear that men are all slavering beasts about to devour you, when actually people are just people, good, bad, and everything in between. That's one of the things I was hoping to see out there, just experience humanity a little. He laughed. It sounded fake and cloying. Definitely, definitely. Well, we read on the blog that you regularly seem to torture your boyfriend with your crazy science experiments and projects. How does that impact your relationship? My relationship? He seemed confused. It doesn't. I have to try out things to make sure that they ring true in the book. That's the secret, really, is that you have to put a piece of yourself and a whole lot of truth into the lie you're trying to create. People will respond to that truth, and it'll feel deeper and more resonant. That's why I take my trips. His smile seemed to fray a little. So you're a romance writer, is that correct? Well, yeah, but I actually... And is it true that you use your editor as a model to test all of your sex scenes on before you write them? You guys must have an amazing sex life. He laughed again. Marcus felt his back molars grinding into calcium dust. Not exactly. See, I do several days of careful research from professional experts and then look up. Bet that must be pretty exciting. What's the craziest thing you found? N no, actually, it's boring. But I like to show relationships and sex as more natural parts of human life. I think that the overexposure and bizarre, puritanical, yet hypersexualized content in most... That's great. And as a women's fiction author, do you think that your work is good enough to really be called art, or is it more of a popularization of common female fetishes? Erica looked at him as if he was insane. She's probably never met someone more inappropriate than her, Marcus thought, covering his face. She's doing great. He's a giant turd. I need to apologize to her profusely. There's no such thing as women's fiction. Romances can really delve into character development and can explore a lot in life that you normally can't touch, especially with male characters, since our society has this perception that it's not manly to feel any emotion besides rage. And, and how long have you been writing these women's books? Well, again, I don't, I don't think they're women's books. I think they're just character stories that are good for everyone, and not very long, just under a year now. I actually started as an academic. I have several papers published. Oh, so you went to college? Yes. Do you know anything about me whatsoever? What did you major in? Physics. 
Oh, wow. Physics. Was that hard for you? Was it difficult to keep up with your classmates and professors? And is that why you got into writing? No, I just liked writing. I was actually kind of brilliant, and I could have kept going in the field if I wanted to. Of course, if you wanted to. You were brilliant for a girl, right? I mean, I'm sure you were awarded a scholarship for women in STEM or something. Yes, I was awarded the State Presidential Academic Scholarship, but it wasn't for girls. It was... Is it challenging to try and be professional like that? It is challenging to try and be professional like that, so I'm sure we all understand that you chose a simpler life as a romance writer. It's got to be easier working from home, not having all the demands of an employer on you, right? Well, actually, being a freelancer is incredibly challenging. You have to live or die by your pen. There's no health insurance. There's no guarantees. If you don't write your best every day, there might not be a way to pay your rent or afford food, and there's no one to back you up or help you, and it can be a really challenging career choice. Well, you live with your boyfriend, correct? He actually takes care of the housing, cooking, cleaning. Heck, it sounds like he's your girlfriend. I'm sorry, Marcus, she said after a brief pause, pulling off her mic and dropping it to the floor, even as she grabbed a handful of the reporter's tie and shoved it into his mouth. I write beautiful things of all colors for beautiful people of all kinds, she said, twisting the cloth to get it as deep as possible in his mouth as his fingers clawed against her tiny wrists. You don't get to judge it, and you don't get to judge them, and you certainly don't get to judge him. Go pound sand. She almost made a dignified exit, except she tripped on a cord and face-planted about two steps from the interview chair. Marcus stood between Erica's legs at home, her butt perched delicately on the counter so that he could diligently stop up her nosebleed, caused by her breaking her own nose by falling in the studio. Well, I have to give it to you, sweetie. I certainly never expected you would break your own nose, assault another human being, and not be the most socially inept person in a room all in one day. I know, White. Shh. Please, no talking. Hold this here. He pressed an ice pack against her nose to try and stop the bleeding. They had wanted to call an ambulance. Erica had been so mad just yelling and spitting blood that Marcus had figured it better just to be headed home and deal with it as best as possible. If she's going to be this much of a klutz all the time, maybe I should get some medical training or something. Let me see. She lifted the ice pack off just enough so he could bandage the top of the nose and then replaced it. We should go to the doctor and get you checked out. Go away. I hate hospitals. Nothing to do for a broken nose anyway. I'd rather be home and miserable than in the hospital and miserable. He sighed. It's just that your feet aren't healing, and now this? I'm worried that there might be something else going on. He framed her head in his hands. This is an abnormal level of klutz, even for you, Professora. I'm fine. Did you see a look at his face when I thumbed his high in his mouth? I'm going to put that in a book someday. Oh, he was being such an asshole, and I was on my best behavior, too. Yes, baby, you wear a knight in shining armor. Keep the ice pack on. I'm going to go find something we can use to strap it to your face. Trending now. Local writer assaults rude reporter on live TV. Click here to watch now. 180,444 likes. Two dislikes. Marcus, that was brilliant. Marcus had to clear his vision from staring at his computer screen for too long. The words got confused with the story he was reading, and he missed them. Hmm? What? Veronica was standing in front of him, her phone out, watching the YouTube video of Erica shoving the turd's tie down his throat. 
She had had to reach up a couple feet, and the reporter had a hand in the middle of her forehead trying to push her off. It reminded him of watching a terrier go after his dad when he was a kid. She's committed. You gotta give her that. Veronica looked delighted, smiling to herself and watching the clip play soundlessly. Did you know we had to put terraforming through another reprint? All five books sold out again. Really? That's great. She wasn't kidding about being loaded, he thought. I wonder what she does with all that money. Yes, I was talking with Isaac this morning, and we'd be interested in publishing her nonfiction as well, under our press, just for name recognition, if she's amenable. He swiveled in his chair to more fully face her. Well, I mean, I have to ask, but I don't think she cares who publishes her stuff as long as it's fair and she retains licensing. Good. Go make sure she's okay with it, and you and Isaac can figure out a contract. Veronica waved her hand dismissively. I think I might have just become an agent. Chris gave him a significant look from his cubicle. Yes, yes, Marcus said, I know. Ten percent, bro. You should claim ten percent on the sale, he said authoritatively. I wonder if I need to incorporate, Marcus thought, looking up agent-manager contract rates, writing. Section 2. Why all wizards should wear a Freedy chainmail, if they can get it. I got these for you. Marcus unfolded the flower arrangement, revealing bold sunflowers and lilies. Why? Erica glanced at him and then at the flowers. Since you were such a good sport about the interview, I smiled at her, and for defending my honor, and I thought they would be nice now that the weather's getting decent. Sunflowers represent adoration, longevity, loyalty, while lilies represent humility and devotion. She looked at Marcus. Pretty strong statement there. He frowned at her and went to put the flowers in water since she hadn't touched them. I didn't know the meanings, I just liked them. He cut the stems at an angle and filled the vase full of marbles before filling it with water. I just thought they reminded me of you, he muttered. It wasn't supposed to get weird. She went back to her book. Oh, it always gets weird. Why do you put glass fragments in the bottom like that? He smiled, remembering his mother's house and the way the light always shone through the window at the just the right angle, throwing colors on the walls, little rainbows. My mother, thought in horror. I have to tell my mother about Erica. It's pretty, he said. It's a great place to be breed bacteria and insect larvae. Hush. He was having a moment. His mother had been heartbroken when he and Nina had gotten divorced. She'd been on him to get remarried ever since Nina had found Trent or Brent or Chet or whatever her new husband's name was. They'd been together almost a decade, and Marcus had never met him and didn't care to. Erica, Dulzura, how do you feel about old Catholic ladies? Pretty good, she said, continuing to read. The Catholics have the best Bible, the best ritual, and the best hats. If it wasn't for the whole Jesus thing, I could definitely have been a Catholic. She stopped. Although if you take the whole Father, Son, Holy Spirit as sort of a Zen metaphor for spiritual growth, you know? Like, first the Son dies, representing the death of the material body and your material needs, and then the Father is abandoned, representing the loss of intellectual materialism and the birth of faith, until finally, the Spirit is recognized as being one with the divine and not actually a being at all, just a reflection of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, or whatever. I like Catholicism. And they have all the good scientists. The Jesuits are great teachers, and there's an astronomer I really like. Great. Why? You have to meet my mother. You have a mother? Of course I have a mother. You never talk about her. 
what do you talk about your mother for? I have a father as well. They nag and fuss. I blow them off and feel guilty. I call them once a month. Ish. It's a perfectly normal relationship. You don't call them. Sure I do. Why do I have to meet your mother? Do I not have to meet your father? He sighed. No, you should actually meet both of them. It's just I haven't actually dated since Nina, and I'm pretty sure once I introduce you, she's going to want us to get married and making babies. That, that seems to be your default mode with any relationship. Mm, good thing you're not gay. Don't I know it. Elena kept her distracted for a solid decade, but she's going to want to meet you, measure your pelvis, make sure you're good for me, and we'll make a decent stepmom for Elena. She looked up at him. I don't want to be Elena's stepmom. And I don't want to be a mom. That's okay. He sat down heavily in the chair next to her. I don't need you to be either of those things. Elena's practically grown anyway. She tapped her fingers to her chin. How are you supposed to meet parents? Am I supposed to bring a gift or something? Wear special clothes? Ooh, didn't ancient Greek brides have to bring a sacrifice of a goat or something and then throw fat in the fire to see if there were good omens? You stole that from the Odyssey. I stole nothing. Want me to bring a goat? Oh, no. He rubbed the bridge of his nose and forehead. A headache was developing right between his eyes. It's going to be so awkward. He shrugged. All of my interactions with humans are awkward. Just add it to the list. Is your dad a problem as well? Nope. He doesn't notice much going on around him. Doesn't say much either. Just lets mom fuss. Occasionally you can get him riled up about politics. That's about it. Good to know. Aren't you going to get super nervous about this? Doesn't meeting new people trigger unhappiness in Erica? She started to chew on her hair absently. Small groups are okay. Besides, they're your parents, right? Parents aren't people. They're parents. I had like six foster families growing up. Everyone gets nervous and says stuff they feel bad about later, but feel like they need to say at the time because emotions or whatever. It's fine. Usually the moms all get touchy and intense about food. Then dads ask about schoolwork or hobbies. Probably works as adults. Probably work as adults. I don't know. I've never met parents as an adult. Uh, right. He felt like he should do something. Say something. Offer something. Do you <clears throat> want to talk about any of that? Any of what? Your childhood. He gestured vaguely at nothing. And stuff. Nope. Okay. You. You know I'm here for you if you ever do want to talk or whatever. Okay. There was another long and still silence. He heard her turn a page. His stomach rumbled. Erica. Hmm? She was still chewing on her hair. Evening sunlight lit her up in a halo of warm light. She was surrounded by books, a stack near her hand, a pile on the couch her own laptop comfortably resting on her tummy as she read over it. Never mind. Section 3. Clerics only get one channel divinity per day, no matter which deity they serve. He crossed his arms and stared at her. Erica, we have to go by plane. I know you don't like it, but I can't take that much time off work to drive or take the train. It's New Mexico, for Christ's sakes. There's no train that even stops there. I hate airplanes. Why? Why, Delzira, could you possibly hate planes? She shrugged and started sifting through the current pile of books on her side of the bed. I just hate people being all around me, trapped and helpless, too much noise and too much touching, and besides, flying is just unnatural. 
It is literally the only way we're going to get there. Why do we have to go again? My parents want to meet you. He sat next to her so he could run his fingers through her hair, combing out the curls and starting to braid it absently. I told them about you. I think they even read the blog. She sighed. You know they're going to hate me, right? No one in the world meets me and says, Oh, what a lovely, well-adjusted young woman. She'll be a great match for my precious son. Well, I said that. She punched him in the shoulder. Yes, and you're a crazy person, obviously. I doubt you got that from your mother. He got up to grab a brush, undoing the messy braid he had been pulling her hair into and started to brush it out properly. You have to get on a plane, Erica. I love you. I want to introduce you to my parents. Elena wants to introduce you. I want to show you Thaos because I think you'll enjoy it. There are a lot of places to get inspired, lots of artist types. My dad teaches at the university there, so maybe you can even catch a lecture or visit the library. I think it'll be fun. She perked up. Oh, what does he teach? Literature. She looked disappointed. Oh. He smacked her lightly with the hairbrush. That's a legitimate field, you snob. Be nice, or he won't let you into the library. Sorry, she mumbled into her knees as she drew them into her chest and rested a book on top, relaxing into Marcus's brushing. Are you going to be able to fly? Yes, yes, I'll be able to fly, Marcus. Look at this. Why would anyone on Earth do this move? Can we try it? It looks intensely awkward. She held up the book for him to see. The diagram showed the woman on her back with her legs and torso rolled up in the air, weighed on her shoulders, with her arms braced along the floor in front of her. The man was squatting above her. The butter churner? Gross. No, Erica, I don't want to do that. It looks like if I went too hard, I'd break your neck. I know, right? She kept looking at it. Why would someone even think of doing that? Like, how did this even happen? Were they having normal sex one day and then an earthquake happened? Did the quantum... Did the bed quantum teleport out from under her instantaneously? She stared at it for a long moment as if trying to picture how someone could accidentally end up in the position. I really want to try it. Erica, come on, pick something that doesn't look like a professional wrestler invented it. She kept holding it. I have to know. Marcus, please? He rolled his eyes and dropped the brush, pulling his shirt off. How can you be this adventurous in literally every aspect of your life and still not be able to go to a grocery store or get on a plane? Grocery shopping and plane rides don't involve you getting naked, so there's that. She dropped the book and started to strip out of her clothes. Oh, this is going to be so stupid looking. I can't wait. Come here, you crazy woman, so I can get in the mood before trying this stupid thing. He gave a hateful glare to her gray sweats now pooled on the floor. And can I burn those yet? No, I like them. Find me more comfortable clothes, and then you can burn them. Ooh, Marcus, could we film it? I want to see how ridiculous it looks. Absolutely not. Erica, so help me if you touch your phone or any other electronic device, I will tie you up and break all of your toys. I mean it. Oh, we haven't done any tying up yet. That could be fun. You are the devil, he said, only partially joking, pulling the remainder of his clothes off. Hands where I can see a woman, and come sit on my lap so I don't have to work too hard. She chuckled, straddling him and snuggling close, taking a deep breath. Dozura, he whispered, if you put this in one of your books, I'm going to throw away your sweats. Do you hear me? This is private. Private. She didn't answer, and after a moment or two, he didn't care. The airport was as bad as he thought it would be. Erica was almost catatonic, and it took Elena and him holding on to her as, she, as if she was an old lady to get her through security. When the agent tried to touch her, Erica almost brained him. 
Elena had to hold her hand through the whole thing as Marcus got patted down in the next line over. Erica went mute within moments of leaving the security line and encountering the sheer number of people and refused to speak until they managed to get to the rental car agency in Albuquerque. She perked up in the car and started feeling good enough to sing along with the radio, and she and Elena got into an animated debate concerning best operating systems for AIs. She was almost functional by the time they pulled into Taos. Marcus, what is that? He felt an insistent tug on his arm. He looked out her window to see an odd-shaped lump, a white-tiled monstrosity seemingly constructed out of used tires and plaster that emerged out of the ground. Like a boil. That's an earthship. What's an earthship? It's a super-efficient recycled building type. Supposedly, it requires no electricity, no water, no heating or cooling. It uses biological and engineered techniques to make its own water and stable atmosphere, and you can grow your own food in it. She kept her hand on Marcus's sleeve. I want to see this. Sure, honey. I think they offer tours or something. If not, I know a guy who built one. She gave him a very intense look, and he got the usual bad feeling in his stomach. No, Professora, you can't build one in one week, and I'm not moving from Chicago so you can experiment with building techniques. She didn't say anything, but his feeling got more intense. I'm serious, Erica. We're not moving. I just paid off the apartment. There was long silence. No. More silence. Elena piped up in the back. Daddy, when you and Erica finish your house out here, can I have your apartment? Shh, he hissed at her. You're a terrible daughter. Stop that. Erica had completely stopped listening and had rolled down the window so she could crane her neck to follow the earthship. He gave a long sigh as Elena laughed at him. You are the devil, he said to the back of Erica's head, and she paid no attention to him. Well, think of it this way. You will save a lot of money on utilities and food and whatnot, Elena said, still chuckling. And I know Grandma and Grandpa would be happy to have you closer. He groaned and started to roll up Erica's window. Like a puppy, she kept her head out for as long as possible before getting it stuck and wriggling it out of the rapidly closing space. She glared at him. He kept his eyes fixed on the road and pretended not to notice. The house he'd grown up in was cream-colored and trimmed in dark espresso wood, ironwood. The scrub desert stretched out around the town, lit up with tiny yellow and pink flowers, and the air smelled cool with the rain. Creosote in the rain. Compared to the city, there was nothing but sky. A purple rim of mountains sat low on the horizon. Erica stepped out of the car and let her head drop back, enraptured by the vibrant blue. It's beautiful, she murmured, breathing in deeply. She wriggled her toes deeper into the dirt, and he noticed that her shoes were off, and she'd pulled her hair loose. Put your shoes on, Dulzura, there are scorpions and snakes. She paid no attention to him, dropping to her knees so she could scoop up handfuls of the dirt, letting the material trickled through her fingers and bringing her hands to her face to smell them. His parents came out to meet them. His mother had her arms out and Elena was already running to hug her. His father was a step behind, obviously headed towards him. He spared a glance to Erica on her knees, covered in dirt, barefoot in their driveway, and thought, oh dear. His father stopped. His mother let go of Elena and stopped. Everyone looked at Erica. What is she doing? His mother asked in Spanish. Is she having a fit? No, said Elena. She's just experiencing things. Erica, tia, it's rude to play in the dirt before you've been introduced. Come meet my grandparents, said Elena in English. Erica dusted herself off, leaving big streaks of rust-brown soil on her face and offered a grimy hand to Marcus's mother. His mother seemed unsure about what to do with it, and Marcus felt his father start to chuckle. 
So this is Erica, he rumbled, taking the hand instead of Marcus's mother. You said you were a little strange, mostly harmless, I believe. She smiled, getting the joke, and shook Marcus's father's hand heartily. Yes, mostly heartless. Pleased to meet you. You can call me Gabriel. Gabriel, I'm Erica. He closed his other hand over their handshake and patted her. So you are. Marcus tells me you are interested in our library, may even enjoy coming to see one of my lectures. Yes, even though... Marcus flicked her ear. She cleared her throat. Yes, I'd like that. Wonderful, wonderful. He released her hand to wave over his surprised wife. This is my wife, Isabel? Erica stuck out her hand again. Mrs. Isabel, I'm so glad to meet you. Isabel looked at the offered hand, then at her husband, then at her son. What is this thing you have brought into my house, she said again in Spanish. Erica cleared her throat. Marcus calls me devil woman, she said in clear, grammatically incorrect Spanish. I'm mostly not evil. Isabel flushed bright red, and Erica frowned. Forgive me, she said, still in Spanish. My Spanish is not so good. I just started learning. I will be better very shortly. Elena clapped her hands, delighted. Clever Erica, how did you learn so much so fast? Erica frown, Erica's frown deepened. It's not that good yet. I know my syntax is terrible and I don't have much of a vocabulary. She shrugged. I would have started earlier, but I had a draft due, and it just slipped my mind. She bowed slightly to Isabel. I'm so sorry. Marcus pulled her close and tried to shake some of the dust off her. You don't have to speak Spanish. You don't have to bow. Mom, we're so glad to be here. Maybe we could go inside, and I can get Erica cleaned up and presentable again? Isabel said nothing, but Gabriel ushered the group in and provided chairs, drinks, and guest rooms. Separate ones. Excuse me, sir, Eric said. Why don't you want me to share your son's room? It's not right, Isabel chimed in. Unmarried people should sleep apart. Erica cocked her head to the side. Why? Because it's not proper. Why? What is proper? Women shouldn't have sex until they're married. Oh, Erica turned to Marcus. Does this mean we should have gotten married? I'm sorry if I wasn't respectful of your beliefs. Was that why it took you so long to have sex with me? Gabriel choked in the hallway. No, Dozora, we didn't have to get married. My mother is thinking I'm 16 again, not a grown man. Isabel looked at him challengingly. You will always be 16 to me, and there is no way that you're going to share a room. Erica looked from him to his mother and then laid a hand on Marcus's arm. It's okay, Marcus. I'll just move my things and sleep with you. Why do you look angry? You will not, Isabel said. Sure I will, said Erica, surprised. Why wouldn't I? I don't want to sleep by myself. Besides, Marcus does my hair in the mornings. He says other people aren't allowed to look at me until he fixes it. He says it would turn you to stone and that he has to play Perseus to make me presentable. Gabriel gave another burst of laughter from the hallway, and Marcus felt his face getting red. Sweetheart, you can't say that in public. Oh, why? Never mind. He turned back to his mother. Mom, I'm, I'm sorry. Can you just allow it? Erica's special. We're adults. It's important to us. Can you just let it go this one time? She looked away. Fine. You can live in sin. Don't worry about me. What do I know? I'm just a mother. A mother who's trying to do the best for her children. She sniffed. Erica seemed fascinating. What's she doing? She asked Marcus. 
This is called mom guilt, sweetheart. It's where she says and does the opposite of what she wants to make you feel guilty so she can passively, aggressively get her way. Marcus smiled at his mother. Thank you so much for understanding, Mom. He kissed her cheek. So glad we could come and visit you. Erica, come out and see the garden. You'll like that. Marcus let her out the door. She craned her neck backwards to see Isabel. Marcus, your mom is glaring at us. Good. Good. It's going great. Love family. Elena! He yelled out into the living room. Come distract your grandma so she doesn't have an aneurysm. Erica trotted along behind his long stride contentedly. Is mom guilt a real thing, or are you teasing me? I can't tell sometimes. It's a real thing. You can feel the onset of it ripple down your spine. It's a magic spell that turns you into a twelve-year-old coward again. She stared at his back. You don't look like a twelve-year-old, for which I am deeply grateful. The kitchen had a set of French doors that opened onto a flagstone patio covered with vines and climbing jasmine and roses. White and pink flowers intertwined over the roof slats and supported wind chimes and small sun catchers hung randomly throughout the flowers. Beyond the patio, the yard opened up into scrub desert, but with several old ironwood sheltering pockets of flowers and raised bed vegetables interspersed with flowering sage in bright blues and purple and rock pathways twining through individual sections. A fire pit and tiny house were framed by another set of climbing roses, in a deep red this time, and enclosed by sweet-smelling glasses grasses and a water fountain that ran over to a small wildlife pond. Gabriel was sitting in one of the chairs with a fat black cat on the other. Marcus, he said welcomingly. I thought you might end up here. He patted the couch next to him, and Marcus tugged her hand again to move her through the garden, but she was not interested in taking a direct route. He dropped her hand so he could see her expression as she explored and sat next to his father. She stopped everywhere, running her fingers along the flowers, tapping wind chimes, and twirling the crystal prisms. She dipped her fingers in the pond and stuck her nose in the water lilies. She's a little odder than you implied on the phone, son, said Gabriel. I know, but how could I have explained this, said Marcus, smiling to see her discover the fish, sticking her fingers in to try and touch their bellies. The cat joined her, the two almost twins, both heads tracking the fish, both paws delicately almost touching the water. Are you happy? Marcus nodded. Give her a little bit more time. I know she looks ridiculously ridiculous now. She doesn't look ridiculous, Gabriel said, watching her. She looks honest, sincere, innocent, generous. It's only strange to see it because those things are so rare in most people. Marcus felt himself relax. Yes, she's incapable of lying. She's brilliant. She's inventive. Things just happen around her. Amazing things that don't happen around other people. She rode a bike through Montana and Minnesota, Dad. Tell me how many people you know who just decide to do that one day. Gabriel chuckled. I know. I read your blog. Marcus's eyes went up. Eyebrows went up. You too? I had no idea it was going to be so popular. Jesus. Don't blaspheme. Your mother can hear you. Marcus gave a slightly fearful glance to the house. She's just upset you didn't stay with Nina and do, thing by, do things by the rules, that's all. Gabriel put his feet up on the wrought iron table. And I'm afraid she's not going to know what to do with this one at all. The woman in question had finally abandoned the fish pond and had perched next to Marcus on the couch. Are you talking about me? she asked. Yes, Gabriel said. We were talking about how odd you were and how to get Isabel to see what a good person you are. She waved it off. Oh, don't worry about it. People don't like me most of the time. 
After about six months, most people just drift away or start fights or kick me out. She smiled at Marcus. We're going on a whole year, though. You're doing very well. Thank you, Dulzura. He captured a hand so he could kiss it. You'd starve to death or light yourself on fire or cause a gas explosion if I left, so I have to stay to protect you. She smiled at him. Of course. He glanced down and groaned softly. Oh, yeah, where are your shoes? Did you leave them someplace? Please try to wear them so you don't track dirt into the house. What is it with you and shoes? They hurt my feet, and I can't feel anything. Gabriel laughed softly to himself. Erica, my darling girl, you're delightful. You belong out here, not in Chicago. Such a gray city is no good for you. Marcus tells me you are an avid reader. Who are your, some, of, some of your favorite authors? Tell me about your reading habits so I may mercilessly judge your taste. He bared his teeth playfully at her. No, Gabriel, I can't let you say that. Erica's voice was getting heated. Russian literature is just a series of catastrophic events topped with a dose of depression and anxiety. Nothing works out. No one changes their fate. No one even describes what's happening with any level of richness or drama. It's just matter-of-fact death, dismemberment, and no poetry whatsoever. Reading any of the Russians is akin to just watching a 24-hour news network and removing anything interesting. <clears throat> Gabriel barked out a quick laugh. Yes? And the past 200 years of writers and professors pontificating on their mastery? What of that, my young friend? Are they all wrong? I've read your books too, you know. You do not write such happy stories. There's much wandering in the darkness and psychological distress in your books as well. Ah, yes, but see, I try to put beautiful descriptions, fantastic voyages, novel experiences in them to distract from the fact that they are preachy, overly complex, and deeply depressing. So you admit this? You admit that you are like a closet Russian, trying to put on pretty clothes to hide the distressing reality of your world? Does that not make you feel like Camus' judge penitent, awaiting a fall from grace? I... Dinner, called Isabel from the house. Marcus started awake from having dozed off during their conversation, lulled to sleep by the sun and soothing sounds of birds and arguing intellectuals. Please wash your hands, everyone. Erica, please wash your feet as well. Isabel gave her a long look from the porch. Actually, please go take a shower and come back clean. Yes, ma'am, she said. Don't forget to put clothes on before you come back to the table, Marcus said. I packed you a dress. Please wear it, and underwear, and your slippers. She nodded. Marcus stood up and stretched, luxuriating in the feel of the high country sun. Somehow the air just felt lighter here. The sun didn't sit heavy on him like it did in the city. He could smell soil and living things instead of gasoline and asphalt. You have to tell her to get dressed, his father asked, as they made their way back into the house. Oh yes, she's not a big fan of clothing, or rules. If she could, I imagine she would just run naked everywhere like a baby. No concept that anyone could hurt her or be offended by the human body. I kind of envy her that. Indeed, said Gabriel, looking thoughtful. Indeed. Over the past year, Marcus had been able to get Erica to at least use silverware and sometimes even close her mouth when she chewed. She was not an elegant eater. As Elena helped his mother set out the last dinner, Erica immediately dove in to load her plate. No, Marcus said, putting a hand on hers. We have to wait. She paused expectantly. He didn't say anything. Wait for what? Grace. What's Grace? Marcus felt his mother's blood pressure rise, even from the other side of the table. It's where we thank God for the food. Then you should let my parents eat first, because they're older and are hosts. 
Isabel whispered something under her breath, but resolutely closed her eyes and bowed her head as Gabriel's prayer washed over the table. Erica stayed quiet through it. Marcus, she whispered as the food started to get passed around. Why do your parents thank their imaginary friend for food that they got and cooked? It's tradition. It shows gratitude. For what? Still being alive, I suppose. Why do you need to be grateful to an imaginary person to do that? Isabel gave them both a dirty look and put a dish down hard on the table, making Erica and Marcus jump. Please stop your conversation. It annoys me. Erica, how is it that you don't know common courtesy in other people's homes? Were you raised by wolves in some howling wilderness? Uh, no. Wolves would have been great, she answered, finally grabbing dishes and loading her plate. I was abandoned as a baby and in an orphanage until I was about five or so, and then I couldn't get along in foster families, so I was on my own at twelve, living on a state stipend as an emancipated minor. I didn't really have friends, and I went to college on a grant at sixteen and then straight into the doctoral program, so there really wasn't anyone around. Ever. Sometimes I would get a roommate for a semester, but I guess I got a reputation for being difficult, so most of them left pretty quickly. And then when I was finishing my doctorate, I started working as a lab assistant, so I ended up just getting my own place. She gratefully started shoveling food in her mouth. There was a long silence at the table. Even Elena looked vaguely horrified. Marcus munched through his salad determinedly, eyes firmly fixed on his plate. He couldn't actually swallow yet, for the lump in his throat, but the greens gave him an excuse to spend a lot of time chewing. Oh my god, Erica, said Elena finally. That explains so much. No wonder you're socially retarded. Elena, Isabel corrected sharply. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, and don't use the R word. It's not appropriate. She stared at her plate. Sorry, Grandma. It was hard to recover the conversation at that point, and Marcus was deeply grateful when he could drag Erica off to bed. At least my mother won't be hounding us to get married and have babies now. Marcus. He didn't answer, keeping his eyes com comfortably shut. The book on his chest rose and fell with easy breathing as the mid-morning sun shone down through their bedroom window. Marcus! He cracked an eyelid open. Big, honey-brown eyes were staring at him through thick glasses. She removed the book from his chest and let her face take its place. What is it, Novia? I'm bored. He sighed and let his eye close again. I don't care, my love. Go read something. Go sit out in the garden. Go get Dad and head to the university library. I want to do something with you. I want to nap. I don't want to nap. Well, then, see, my angel, we have a fundamental conflict here. You only use English nicknames when you are annoyed with me. He cracked his eyes open again. That's not true, sweetheart. Sometimes I use them when I'm patronizing you. She snorted. Marcus, please, can we go do something? No, I'm comfortable. Go bother Elena. Take a hike into town. Go look at the art galleries or something. You both like that. Elena and your father went somewhere. Lunch or something. Marcus, please, I'm so bored. He gave a deep, overly dramatic sigh and calmly flipped her under him, delicately removing her glasses. You are bored, hmm? He felt her legs around his hips and let his weight settle more fully on her, feeling a shiver up his spine as she just accepted him, wrapping her arms around his neck and arching her back to help him move her. She was wearing the dress he'd packed for her. He slipped his hand up her hip to pull it away, and sure enough, no underwear. He pressed kisses along her neck and jawline, letting his hand continue up her hip and back down along her thigh as he curled his other hand in her hair. He felt her hands on his belt and helped move her 
her move his clothes away and started when her little cold hands found his butt and started gently rocking into her. Sweetheart, he said, starting to lose his breath, please try not to scream. It would upset my mother. She gave a low groan and bit his ear. He ended up making all the noise. Naked, sweaty, bathed in sunlight, she was lying on top of him, letting him play with her hair. His mind was a blissful blank, nothing but soothing contentment wrapped around them both. Marcus? Hmm. I'm bored. His lips twitched. Oh? He felt her move to straddle him and felt an intense, visceral pleasure in seeing her hair a mess, her skin flushed red where he touched her as he brought her face for another kiss, felt himself relax into her softness again. Good thing she brought home all those books. I'm going to have to marry her, he thought. Mom was right, living in sin like this. And it will annoy my mother so much. It put him in a remarkably good mood. He closed the door softly, letting her sleep, and padded into the kitchen. His mother was sitting at the kitchen table, almost clutching a cup of tea, with the late afternoon sun reflecting through the window. He nodded to her and had a brief hope that they wouldn't have to have a discussion, and he could go back to the beautiful naked woman in his bed. Hope died. Marcus. Yes, he said, hunting for glasses in the cupboard. I don't understand what you're doing with that woman. I'm living with her, Mom. He found the glasses and, glasses and started filling one. I love having her around. She lights up my life. What can I say? He could almost see her knuckles getting whiter. Why? The question almost sounded desperate. Why her? You're practically her babysitter, a maid. It's just not how a man should act with a woman. Why do you let her do all these things to you? Is it just because you are lonely? I know that you haven't had much companionship since Nina, but her? He sighed, closing his eyes and bringing the glasses to the table to sit down. Mom, are you more upset that you think she isn't right for me or that I'm not right for her? She is a little odd, but she's also generous, kind, honest. Aren't those good things for a woman to have? To be? Yes, but she's so manly. All this talk about riding and money and robots. She has Elena thinking about careers that are all for men, not good for women. Robotics is not a good place for a girl just out of school. Too much sexism. Men won't like her if she's smarter than them. She'll be too intimidating. You're saying Elena shouldn't pursue something she loves because men won't like it? No, I'm saying it's dangerous to go into male-dominated fields like that, and I don't want her to end up alone, rejected. You wouldn't understand something like this. Like Erica, you mean? His mother looked unhappy, averting her gaze. Yes, but look, you do the housework, you cook for her, you pick out her clothes, you do her hair. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you more like her, your brother? He rolled his eyes and let his hands hit the table in disgust. That's what this is about? You think I'm not as manly as my brother? Not man enough? Oh, come on, Mom. Just because I take care of her in little ways that she needs, I'm not manly enough? Okay, yeah, I do the housework because she would live in filth when she gets on one of her binges. She can work for literal days straight and collapse at the end. So yeah, I do the housework. I cook for her because she actually forgets to eat more than half the time. I have come home on two occasions to find her passed out and too weak to move because she got so wrapped up in an idea that time just disappeared for her. So yeah, I cook. I help her with clothes because judgmental people like you give her anxiety attacks every time she leaves the house. I do her hair because she forgets and occasionally burns it off when she's experimenting. Okay, 
Sure, I don't go weightlifting, and I don't get drunk in bars or pick fights with random dudes to show how tough I am, but when did that actually do any good? I keep her safe, usually from herself. I protect my kid. I provide a safe home for both of them. Isn't that what being a man is about? What is it with everyone and wondering if I'm still a man? Jesus, Mom. Don't blaspheme, she said distractedly. I'm sorry, Michal, I am. It's just your brother, you know, and you, you're so different. Jeez, Mom, you don't expect Dad to be some knuckle-dragging meathead. He's never hit anyone in his life. Did you want a manly man for a, for a husband instead? No, she sighed, rubbing her forehead. I just think about Nina and how she married so quick after you two broke up, and I wonder. It wasn't my fault, Mom. I would have stayed with her forever. It was the right thing to do. And I'm so grateful for her bringing Elena into my life, but now I can admit we were totally wrong. We should never have gotten married. She's annoying. She's selfish, materialistic, greedy, uptight, overbearing, whatever. But she is pretty, and she can't dress herself. Just a shame that on the inside she's rotten. So who would you rather I be with? The soulless woman who looks right and acts right and says all the right things? Or the honest woman, the real woman who never says anything right but loves completely? I can tell you which one I prefer, and it doesn't make me girly or gay or less of a man to want someone like her. I wish you all would just get off my back about this already. I felt angry and a little disgusted. Why does everyone think there's something wrong with me for taking care of people? The world is crazy. He grabbed the water again before turning back to his mother. Mom, Samuel is my brother, and I guess I love him. Down deep, somewhere. Right, but he's awful to his girlfriends. You haven't seen the level of bullshit he puts the people around them through. Something's got into our head when we were kids that makes us bad to women in general, but in him? Well, I think I got rid of most of my bad habits. I don't even think he realizes when he does what he does half the time. He's mean, Mom. But you're right, he is manly and charming. He does have lots of muscles, and he can shout loud and lift heavy things. But he is hard to be around. Why do you think I don't come back for holidays much anymore? I thought it was because you've taken up with that woman. He felt another wave of frustration. Mom, what's with this attitude? I just don't feel right about you living with her. You still don't know anything about her. You don't know anything about her. I know plenty. Not just sex, Marcus. Real things. Her hopes, dreams, ambitions. You don't even know your hopes and dreams. You're just letting her run your life. I'm... For Pete's sake. Mom, I'm happy as an editor. I like reading books. I like making books. I like living with Erica. If I can convince her, I'm going to marry her and spend the rest of my life reading and being tortured by her. Those are my hopes and dreams. I don't want to be an executive or a lawyer. I don't want Nina's life. I don't want Sam's life. I don't want to be anything but with her and have a chance to make books. That's it. Isabel scowled at him. Samuel, Mom, please stop comparing me to him. I'm not a manager. I'm never going to be. I'm not going to be anything other than a skinny nerd. Please just leave me alone about it already. But, good night, Mom. I'm going to go have sex with my future wife again because she doesn't mind me being a skinny nerd who likes to take care of people. Maybe someday that won't piss you off. See you tomorrow. End of episode 9.